easiest one to get. Return them to who? Go back to the bar and say, I stole this from you. Can I trade it for one? Next time you're there, just drop it in a table. And then all of a sudden, there's an extra hole in there and they don't know why. Uh, I I only wanted to take. No giving. Even giving giving to cause a problem is no good. (laughs) Do you still have any of them? Uh, The last time I moved, I did, but I don't think I do anymore. It was like, I I don't know why you ever stole. There were like five of them. Uh, Why did you steal any cue balls? Well, I, the first time I stole a cue ball was just because I wanted... That was the only idea I had. And then later, I was like, I could build an entire set. We we had a pool table. Um, so I figured we should just get a set of backup balls that we took from places that offended me. Um, but, there, was one, there was one Halloween where uh, I didn't get offended at the place we were at, but the, the girls we were playing, I got it in my head that they were cheating because they were taking advantage of the fact that we were so drunk that we couldn't monitor how well they were doing. And so I just figure they must be cheating. So I tried to take as many as many pool balls as I could because surely that's going to address their cheating. <laughs> um, and so I got outside, and I wanted to show my friend that I got out with two instead of one, and he was across the street and couldn't understand me. So <laughs> I took one out of my pocket, and he thought he, – he knew I had taken that one. So he was like – I don't – he was miming across the street. He's like, I don't care. I don't care. And I was like, no, look at it. I thought if he looked at it, it would help. So I tried to roll it across the street to him, but it, my aim was bad because I was drunk. So instead of rolling it to him, I rolled it like 10 feet the other way directly into a storm drain and down into the sewer. <laughs> like it was a perfect – if that's what I wanted to do, it was a perfect roll for that. But I missed him by a lot. And he was like, I don't understand what you're doing now. And I had to explain it to him later. He's like – I guess I understand. You just wanted me to see which ball I, that you had. And I was like, "Yeah, that's it. I just want to show it to you." That actually sounds like a gag from a TV comedy or something. Where, especially if you're really bad at pool inside, you have this magical shot where the ball just goes straight into a pocket in the street. Right. That's what happens when you go to Halloween in um, Baltimore. Is you have an awesome. Co- I was the Monopoly Man, uh, which if you ever want to be a good costume, you can print Monopoly dollars off of their website, so you can just fill your pockets with Monopoly money. Uh, don't I mean, you try can also and... email Don Garber. That's a different costume altogether, I think. I mean, email Don Garber for the Monopoly money. I'm sure he'd be willing to pass out some allocation dollars to you. No, you, you have to earn it by being bad or um, uh, making the Champions League. So if you get yourself into the Champions League, then you should absolutely email him. Just, for... just don't <laughs> let Dan Corkmont get in your way. He'll, 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 he'll block your Monopoly money. Right, you have to get around him to get to Garber to get the, your your allocation books. Yep. That you can then trade for Hercules Gomez's playing rights. There's a reason they're not called court match bucks. That's true. My my joke has taken this conversation in an entirely different, more nerdy <laughs> direction. And I apologize to all our listeners. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about D.C. United, the U.S. Women's National Team, and uh, lots more around MLS and the Women's World Cup. We have a good show for you tonight. We will be talking about D.C. United's one nothing loss to Orlando. We are going to be talking U.S. Open Cup tonight. Hooray! Everyone loves the Open Cup. Uh, because D.C. United plays the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, Wednesday night at 7 p.m. That's probably tomorrow if you're listening to this as soon as it comes out. Uh, We're also tonight talking about DC United versus the New England Revolution Sunday night at 5 p.m. at RFK. Uh, That'll be on national TV, but as always, you should 
get out to the stadium whenever possible, and it's a Sunday afternoon. Why wouldn't you go out to the stadium? Come on. Get off your couch, dude. Uh, finally, we are talking about the Women's World Cup and the U.S. Women's National Team tonight. Uh, they currently lead their group despite not really being that impressive at soccer so far. We'll get more into that later. Before we do, though, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, it's um, hot and humid, so my natural instinct was to go for gin. Uh, I didn't get creative or anything. It's just a, a standard uh, gin and tonic. Um Squeeze of lime. What nothing kind of special, gin? But, you know, uh, Tanqueray. Okay. So, again, nothing special there either. But, you yeah. know, all around, it's, it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. Did you know that uh, Saturday, and I can't believe I didn't troll Martin with this on Saturday, uh, but Saturday was World Gin Day. I didn't know that. And I feel like there we should, should mark a calendar. World Gin Day. Well, every day yeah. is Adam Gin Day. I mean, not wrong, except that tonight I'm not drinking gin. Last night, I during the game, I I, I drank a, a gin martini. Hashtag so. Yeah, completely. Tonight, I am instead drinking a New Belgium 1554 black lager, uh, which is, you know, a lot of the black lager, the, the Schwartz beers I've had have been surprisingly light. And this, this one's a little bit heavier on the malt, so it's not quite as appropriate for the weather as, as some of the other... Uh, black loggers I've had, but but I chose this one because uh, another podcast I listen to outside of the soccer world. It's it's called TBTL. I've, it's been around for years since 2008, I think. Um, used to be out of Seattle. Now it's out of somewhere else in rural Washington. Um, but but the host Luke Burbank uh, spent a lot of time this week confusing a couple of Yiddish words. Uh, one of them was Schwartz, Schwartz, which he uh, just you know, German for black. Uh, he he thought it was a Yiddish word for a man's junk, and so he was saying it all week, and it cracked me up. And so when I saw a black lager at the store, I had to get it just to laugh at Luke. Uh, ben, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I'm drinking a beer that Jason has recently had on this podcast, and I'm drinking it uh, because I gave it to him. <laughs> and I didn't have anything to mix gin with, so I couldn't drink gin. Uh, it is Devil's Backbone Gold Leaf Lager. It's, it's yeah, it's just a good lager. It's better than your typical American adjunct lager, if you are a beer nerd and know what that means. Um, but, yeah, it's good. Devil's Backbone is good. Go to Devil's Backbone, all of you. Drink all their beers. Devil's Backbone does not provide us advertising. I'm talking to if you. They, if they wish to provide us some advertising, we certainly wouldn't say no to that. Uh, to the soccer, you Don't guys. DC United. DC United fell Sunday night to Orlando City Soccer Club. One to nothing. Kaká finished his own penalty kick. Rebound. Uh, saved, of course, by Bill Hamid. After Taylor Kemp clattered into Pedro Ribeiro inside the box, uh, this is, was, I think, the fourth time in United's 17 league games this year that they've been shut out. Um, the big thing coming out of this one for me, Ben, was that there weren't a lot of good chances going in either direction. Neither team really put any kind of stamp on the game, especially in the creativity section of the 
whatever. I assume when you have notes, you fill out a grid, and one of the grids, one of the boxes is native stuff. I have no idea what I'm saying right now. I'm word pumped is coming at you guys. I'm sorry. I'm out of form today. I'm, I'm playing like the offense in last night's game. Ben, are you worried about the attack right now? The defense is fine, I think. But are you worried about the attack? Yes, I am. Uh, I think that you could make a reasonable argument that Chris Rolfe as a left midfielder may be reaching the end of its useful lifespan. He may just be a forward from here on out. Uh, If not, he needs more help from his central midfield, and I think Davey Arnault had a particularly bad game. Um, It it usually divides between him and Kitchen, who uh, links up with the attack, and uh, Kitchen was doing his defensive work well, but didn't get into the attack, and Davey Arnault didn't do the defensive work that well and didn't do anything linking into the attack and had a particularly bad first half, so he was basically useless throughout the entire game. So if you leave half of your midfield basically useless, it it makes it very difficult for the rest of the midfield to do anything. And Nick DeLeon put in a couple of decent crosses and uh, ran ran a lot, and uh, his energy was good. But uh, for better or for worse, he's not a winger midfielder who's going to whip in a lot of great crosses or uh, put a lot of great shots on goal anymore, and maybe he should, but that's not where his game is right now. So after all of that, the midfield is pretty weak in the attack, and that's something that's going to have to change. Jason, let me put this question to you. Um, I I agree that Chris Rolfe is, is much better as a forward right now than he is as, as an outside midfielder. But I, I'm looking at the options with, with Chris Pontius injured, and you assume uh, Nick DeLeon is on, is on one wing. Would you rather have Espindola and Rolf up top with Doyle at the outside midfield opposite of Nick DeLeon, or would you rather have Espindola and either Silva or Arietta up top with Rolf at outside midfielder, which... Which do you think gives the team its best look going forward? Uh, it probably depends on who you're playing, but um, in general... Yeah, take the cop-out answer. <laughs> in, in general, I would say um, I'd rather have, for, for a team that isn't scoring that many goals right now, that isn't creating that, that many chances in the last couple of weeks, I think it's probably a better idea, even though Ariat has been in those games, um, to keep him in with a spindola and play Rolf on the left, um, because... We know Connor Doyle is going to give an honest effort. In the last couple of appearances, he's he's been better than his reputation. But we also know that limit. He's a little limited going forward. He doesn't have too many attacking ideas. Um, he's not really even. He he. I would. I, I'm not going to say he's um a player who doesn't come up with big moments. I, he a lot of times doesn't even do anything that's going to produce anything big. He's not going to create a flashy assist or um get in behind the defense when the ball's at his feet. Those just things, those things aren't his game. He's there to help the more skillful players out rather than um, be amongst those guys. So um, I think it's better to have I mean, And we saw Arietta in this game. Uh, he got fouled at midfield and somehow a foul was called on him that prevented him from being in alone from midfield on a 
a pure breakaway. Um, that I don't know how on earth that was a foul, but uh, well, it's um, because the referee—I forget his first name. Rivero is his last name. He had Jose, a, Jose Rivero. Jose Rivero. He had a yeah. terrible game. He, he was. was really bad. And he's um, supposed to be one of the better MLS refs. But I mean, every everyone gets a, a bad game now and again, but he, he is not. He is generally not a good referee. Um, <laughs> even even accepting the standard MLS. Um, you know that you're getting into it with referees where the good, quote-unquote, is not actually good. He's pretty bad. Um, he did call a tight game consistently, but he made some just mistakes. Um, he got calls that were just wrong. It wasn't that there wasn't a foul. is that he called it the wrong way multiple times. I don't um, know if I would agree that he called he, a tight game. He called a tight game except for missing Perry Kitchen being taken down in the box. Well, that and... Fabiano Spindola couldn't buy a foul. He got he got pulled down from behind at midfield. Well, he got tripped. Well, and especially he couldn't when, buy a foul. Especially when he got it, like it, neck grabbed by the neck uh, by Aurelian Colin. Well, I, I don't know that one. Colin did foul a Spindola, but a Spindola was fouling him just at the same moment and not maybe not as blatant on camera, but it was definitely one of those where someone's committing a foul and a referee. Nine times out of ten is going to call the attacking player because, you know, you you potentially let up a goal scoring chance if you if you call it the other way or if you just call nothing. Um, so referees everywhere are going to end up going with the safe call that's going to get them less grief. Um, where Espinola is mad, but no one else is really yelling at him. Uh, if he calls it the other way, he's got probably the entire Orlando City team mad. And at that point in the game, he already had one team that hated him. So. Um, there's a certain amount of human nature where if 22 people hate you, uh, or 22 people could hate you, or you could just keep it at 11, you might just, uh, you know, take the safe way out and, and try and uh, keep it at 11. That um, approaches that that if that is not, the thinking he used, it approaches the cowardice that I've accused Juan Guzman well, of having. I mean, thinking is probably overstating it. It's more of a an instinct. Um, when you've already got a, you've already been yelled at a lot, you're just going to try and not get yelled at anymore um, in a lot of cases, and I think that affects referees a lot, um, especially when when they're in the stadium of the one team that's not necessarily yelling at them. Um, but anyway, to go back to the other question, I think it's important to um, remember that Rolf last year did a lot coming in from the left, and it seems like they just haven't had as much, because of the issues up front with a spindle being unavailable, um, Silva being unavailable. Rolf just hasn't had that much time to play left midfield with Fabian Espindola, um, and it seems like they might be out of practice a little bit. Um, and he's looked a little gassed lately. Um, even even in this game, even with the days off, he still it looked like he was just lacking a little bit of energy. Um, hopefully he'll get back, and we know what Chris Rolf can do when he's at his best. Um, and I think him not being quite as sharp and Espindola... Espindola created most of DC's threats, but you know there's there's creating a threat and then there's creating a threat. Um, the, he was kind of in the former category where he was creating shots, but they weren't really that threatening for the most part. Um, it's important to note that maybe the best passing sequence of the game involved uh, a loose ball falling to Davy Arnold, who who gave a little flick through his legs, and then it fell to Connor Doyle to shoot wide. Um, that's not necessarily how it's drawn up. Uh, when DC plans to go on the road to create goals, uh, I don't think they're looking for the Davy Arnold back heel through a crowd to Connor Doyle to score from from the 22 yards. Um, 
So that that needs to improve. Um, the guys that carry this team attacking wise need to be a little sharper, um, and it needs to, it can't just be one person. It's got to be more than one. But right now, I would stick with Arietta because he's more of a goal threat. And on a team that isn't scoring that much, you've got to find someone that's a finisher out there. And you know, Arietta also had that shot that Hall tipped over the bar um, in the first half. That that was it was a decent shot, even though it was down the middle. He hit it hard. Um, it forced a challenging save. So. I think that's a little better, but I also wonder how much longer we wait before we see Luis Silva push his way back uh, into a starting position alongside Espindola as well. So deeper in the field, we'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. Ben, you mentioned earlier that the central midfield wasn't really generating any kind of attacking push, and neither were the outside midfielders for that matter. And we, We've talked at length here about how the outside midfielders, when United have the ball, they're going to squeeze in a lot. And even when United doesn't have the ball, the outside midfielders have to stay pretty narrow to make up for the numerical deficiency United always faces in the center of the park. That means the width going forward a lot of times has to come from the fullbacks. There wasn't a lot of that on Sunday in Orlando. The fullbacks, Sean Franklin didn't do much of anything. Taylor Kemp also didn't do much you of mean anything. Sean Franklin didn't do much because he didn't play. That that would explain that. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Corb, outside of a few defensive plays early in the game, yeah. where he just kept popping up wherever the ball was, I it thought, was kind of fun. I to will see. say, I will say, I thought Corb played well defensively. He had a good game. He just, I mean, we know he's not going to do much on offense. Yeah, he has, he has the ability to pull a right, really good cross out once right in a while, but position. he's right. not a right back. Despite, I will keep, I will do this to my grave. He's not a right back offensively. See, I would, I would, I would dis, I disagree You're slightly. You're wrong. I think Corb is a fullback, and to think of him as as having a better side is an error because I don't think Corb is any different on either side. I think we expect him to do more because he's on his right foot on a, on the right side, but he doesn't hit those expectations. His performances are more or less the same. No, um, I think I think he is slightly better on the left side, despite it being his wrong foot. Maybe that is just our lowered expectations because he's on his wrong foot, or me just remembering 2012. Yeah, when he remembers that he can hit a ball with his left foot, then then he can do good things on the left side. But he so often remember? forgets that and just slowly switches the ball to his right foot, and then he's under pressure and the cross is no good. Can we, can we just use some alchemy and merge Chris Corb and Taylor Kemp into one actually decent left back? I think that goes beyond alchemy to whatever Kyburn is doing in Game of Thrones these days. Well, we don't want to spoil or anything, but all we have on this podcast is alchemy and goats, so it must be alchemy. Uh, when when we had... Um, Damn it, I can't even refute a... that. Damn it. <laughs> no, you can't. It's inarguable. It is. Um, God. But when we had, and I hesitate to bring these names up, but when we had... Um, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Please don't. Ambisoli, Leonardo Pajoy, no, and Michael Santos. Stop, no, I'm ending the podcast. <laughs> those aren't pull, fullbacks, Jason. No, but when we had those three players, uh, I proposed at the time that what we should do is if all three of them were to run at each other fast enough, we could combine all of their qualities into <laughs> one pretty good striker. That would be a, an excellent MLS forward um, with with uh, the various qualities that all of them had. Um and I think maybe we need, it's time to do that with Corb and Kemp, to just smash them together, and then we'll get, hopefully, 
the I mean it could be it could be that they just injure themselves because that's sometimes what happens when people run into each other. But um, I'll leave that to uh, better scientists than myself uh, determine how fast they have to run at each other if there's an angle that needs to be accounted for. Um, but if you could combine them, that would be that would be nice. That's one way to do it. You just have to hope you don't get the left foot of Corbin, the right foot of Kent. Right. You need to be very careful about how you combine them. Right, and, you know, we'll have to settle their personal affairs. I don't know how we'll sort that out. That's going to be difficult, but, um, you know, <laughs> Nuclear you, you give it some time. You give it a few weeks to sort out. There you go. Um, so let's let's talk about the width issue, especially against teams that pack the central midfield the way Orlando City does. We need that width as an outlet because that's where the favorable matchups are going to be. Jason, what do Corb and Kemp and Franklin, when he's back on the field, what do they have to do to to actually help with the width issue? Um, honestly, I think it, with with Kemp, it's become a little obvious what's uh what the plan is. Um, a couple in the past few months, we've seen a couple games where United was just sort of especially uh, the new the, the game in New England comes to mind where it was just pretty much everyone try and pass to Kemp and hope that Kemp can do something uh, from that spot because we sort of abandoned the other stuff. Um, everyone knows he's going to get down the line and put in a cross. Um, Kemp needs to add something else, whether it's um, cutting inside, whether he adds a shot. You know, he, He's known for having a, a hard shot in practice. We just never see it in games. Um, His nickname is Shooter. Right. Um, and, and he needs to diversify his game just a little, just to have it on the table. Um, we don't want a situation where everyone in the stadium it, – it's, we don't want a Mark Birch situation where everyone knows the cross is coming. Fortunately, he's faster than Birch, so at least he doesn't have to, like, settle the ball and then take three steps back and then hit the cross. Um, he can get around his man and then one-time across. Um, but he still needs to add a little more diversity. On the other side, um, it's interesting because Franklin always seems to get himself a few key passes um, per game. He always gets – um, involved in the attack, but it's not the traditional get down and hook in a cross. Um, sometimes he's good at finding people by chipping the ball over the back line and, and uh, United's midfielders or forwards peel off the, the rest of the defense and all of a sudden they're in behind the left back. Um, I think we lacked that a little in this, this past game. Um, but uh, with Corb, you know he's going to be willing, the effort's going to be there, and he's got speed, but everyone in the league knows that if the ball, if a United attack ends with Chris Corb putting in a cross, you've probably done your job defensively. Um, and there's not really that much other than never crossing and always trying to get into the box, um, which is a big, even a, an even bigger risk than him coming forward as is. Um, there's not really that much that he's going to add at this point. I, I, I'm guessing that he has practiced crossing a lot and it just hasn't taken. Um, so. There, I think I think a lot of the width issue um, will, and it, it'll take a few weeks. But I think with Espindola back, Espindola loves to peel out wide. Um, I think we might at, see width coming from the forwards rather than the midfielders because Espindola loves to do that. Now it takes time to work with him because it's a strange way of playing forward, um, which is what makes him effective. But he needs his teammates on the same page as him. Um, the other thing is, and, and Miguel Aguilar came in and. and almost immediately made an impact on the game by uh, dribbling past his man, getting into a, getting in behind the defense. It didn't turn into anything, but at least it was progress on the wing. 
Um, it stretched Orlando out. It made them uh, a little more worried about some defending. So maybe giving him a few more minutes here and there, um, longer stints off the bench in, in games, especially where the width isn't happening, um, where, where we're not really doing anything else out there. That's something to look for. Um, but I think mostly it just there needs to be a little bit more diversity in the attack for the fullbacks um, to open the field up a little bit. And then you'll, all of a sudden you'll find that the guys in the middle also have more room to do what they're going to do. All right. Let, that's it for Orlando. Uh, I think one place we might expect Aguilar to see plenty of minutes is this Wednesday in Pittsburgh against the Riverhounds for the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, it's back. It's I don't know if it's better than ever. I guess we'll find out. DC United at Pittsburgh this Wednesday, 7 p.m., Highmark Stadium. Jason, you're going to make the trip up there? Yep, I have my ticket. I've already looked at the map. It's actually very easy to get to, it turns out. Excellent. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's a pretty good town, I'm not going to lie. Um, sports, their sports teams aside, it's, it's a pretty decent town. It's great to visit. Um for those of us who can't make the trip, though, Ben, is this one streaming? I know USL tends to stream their games on YouTube, but I don't yes. know if that's league only or or if the Cup will also be there. Uh, it, it it is up to the teams to determine whether or not they're going to stream their U.S. Open Cup games, but uh, there are only two teams not streaming their fourth round Open Cup games, and. Uh, Pittsburgh will stream their game, as well as the Richmond Kickers uh, against Columbus. So if you were interested in either of those games or both of those games, you can watch them uh, online and in living color. All right, and those are on, what, YouTube slash yes, dot com slash USL? No, USL they're, 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 on, they're on the hosting team's website, so the Pittsburgh game will be on whatever the Pittsburgh's uh, uh, YouTube channel is, I assume it's youtube.com slash Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Yeah, I think it is just there's no, like, duplicate. Uh, I think I looked at this before. No, I know I know, I know. know for USL it's every team hosts their uh, stream on their own right. YouTube channel. So all of the kickers games are on youtube.com okay, gotcha. slash Richmond Kickers. So I would assume the uh, River Pooches one is on uh, youtube.com slash Pittsburgh Riverhounds. You're gonna you're gonna use River Pooches more tonight, aren't you? That's a well, term yes. you're gonna yes. you're gonna uh, keep on throwing out. That's a term we use here in Richmond. It's it's a it's a more general Richmond thing than just me. Okay, I'll have to take your word on it. I don't have anybody yeah. to check to verify. Yeah. So yeah. I just yeah. have to assume you're not lying to me. Ben. Hashtag, hashtag RVA. <laughs> uh, the Hounds are currently fifth in USL's Eastern Conference. They've got 16 points from 12 games, and this is this is the fun stat for me. They have both scored and allowed more goals than anyone they were, in USL they were, East. They were they, yeah uh, they were recently passed by Vancouver's B team as the worst defense in the USL. Right, and, the, and and Sounders too has more goals scored than them, but they are second in all of USL and yes. first in the East and on both counts. So they are a team that loves to. Yeah. Sounders 2 also has uh, the record for most uh, diving nut shots in USL Pro so far this year. You mean, you mean the two-foot uh, from the ground uh, attempt to yep. hit someone yep. in the balls? Yes. I do. Yeah, they lead the league with what? One of those? <laughs> with one <laughs> One is nut more shot. than enough, I would think. It's true. It's true. Um, so They ben, invented nut shots. 
I I was trying to keep the show on the rails. It's just gone. You blew up the track there, Ben. Goats. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so the the Riverhounds are a team that that scores a lot of goals and allows a lot of goals. DC United's defense, it seems like, almost outside of one ill-fated trip to Panama, um, or not Panama, Costa Rica, have uh, and from Rochester last year. Well, this year the the defense has been very solid, except for one game in the Champions League. Um, What do you make? I mean, you assume it's going to be somewhat of a makeshift defense. Do you think that they can stand up to the vaunted attack of the Riverhounds, and do you think they can run at the not-so-vaunted defense that Pittsburgh presents? Yeah, I think think that their defense should be able to do a job against the Riverhounds. I think the... uh, Combination that the combination in my mind is probably Kofi Apari and Jalen Robinson in central defense, and I think that that defense will be good enough to uh, deal with the Riverhounds. Apari has been an MLS starter uh, a lot of this year. Robinson has been a USL starter for whenever he's been available. Um, I think the team overall should be good enough to handle them, uh, especially in defense, depending on who the left back is. That I, I was trying to write my uh, uh, typical lineup piece this afternoon, and I got kind of stuck on who the left back would be. So that'll be an excitement for DC United. But uh, I think overall they'll they'll find a way, and I think that they... Barring a Rochester Rhinos s collapse, a la last year, I think they should be able to uh, pull out a result against a fairly bad defense. Rochester is really good this year, so if they're playing them, I would be slightly worried. But I think they should be able to pull out a result against the Riverhounds. So, who do we expect DC United to run out against the Riverhounds on Wednesday? We there, there are several players that we know uh, did not play the full 90 minutes in Orlando, and some didn't even travel. There's Marcus Halstey, Luis Silva, Kofi Opare, Miguel Aguilar, Connor Doyle at either midfield or forward. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if Correa is, is hurt or, or if he'll be available, but if he's available, you, you have to assume that he's going to start. Jason, make sense of the mess of options that we have in front of us. Eddie Johnson? Too soon. No, he is not going to travel. Too soon, Ben. Um, But I I will say, I think um, unless the team has kept a Coria injury to themselves, um, there's no reason not to use him um, in in a game like this. Um, Luis Silva, I would expect to start as the withdrawn forward. this is a great opportunity for him to build his fitness and also to prove that he belongs on the field a little more. Um, I think on the I think it's going to be Coria on the left. It could be Aguilar. Um, we've seen Aguilar and Coria both play both wings, so it's kind of up in the air. Um, Chris Pontius was questionable this weekend. Uh, it could he could be healthy enough to start this game and then they'll rest him for the weekend. But I, I would I would feel like they're more much more likely to save him for the game against the Revolution. Um, 
So I think it's going to be Aguilar and Correa. Um, I think Royal ends up starting up front with uh, Silva, given that Arietta played 57 minutes um, in Orlando. But, you know, it's only 57. Maybe Arietta starts and Doyle ends up in the midfield. I don't know. It, it's it's a difficult one. Um, but it's going to be that group of guys. It's not – we're not going to see – Spindola might travel and he might come in late, but he's not going to start, I don't think. Um, Rolf, it's a similar situation. Um, I'd actually be surprised if Rolf traveled. Yeah. I'd, I'd be surprised. Well, well. We, you do have to have some sort of um, kick it in high gear substitute um, in these games. We saw last year against Rochester where United played too limited of a lineup going forward and just never really got any ideas going. Um, fortunately, this year there are more um, attack-minded players available. We didn't have an Aguilar or a Correa on the, the roster last year at the, at the time of that game. Um, but I, I, I think left back, someone's going to have to play back-to-back games, um, whether it's Kemp or Core, probably depends I think on it's the center. Yeah, um, but whoever, whoever's feeling healthier, whoever took the fewest knocks against Orlando, basically. Um, I, I do kind of expect to see um, Boswell given another start. Um two games in a row because I think Robinson ends up at right back, um, especially since Sean Franklin is questionable uh, with the ankle issue. Yeah, um, but Luke, Luke Mishu is probably going to start at right back. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I think I, I, I feel like he would have played right back uh, previously uh, or at least been considered for right back previously. But that is um, his spot. That's where he plays. I mean, nominally, that's, that's his right. position. Well, we could also see him at right midfield, um, which is... Um, yeah, but- I know, but it it could be because of the the various you know if if Doyle and Arietta are both you know, um but you know Mishu could play uh, right back, but I don't know. I think it's going to be Robinson. I think the way United defends makes it hard for Olsen to risk playing a an undersized center back. Um and and Robinson has plenty of experience at right back. I'd actually like to see him out there. I'd like. Yeah, well, to, to be fair, he doesn't really have that much experience at right back. All of his professional experience at Arizona, at Richmond, has been at center back because of emergency but, situations. I mean, what he's at, done at the, at the U twenty threes, sure, he played right back. Right, right. at the under twenty threes, uh, the other youth national teams, his collegiate experience. Um, his collegiate experience was a lot. It was a lot of for United. He played preseason uh, at right back almost exclusively, so I think Olsen sees him as a right back, and I think on this team we let up too many crosses for Olsen to risk playing it, or to to gamble on a guy that's not very tall in central defense. Um, I do wonder if if it's Boswell or maybe um, Halsty ends up there, um, because if you play Halsty in the midfield and then you give Kitchen and Arnaud the night off, then you've got Jared Jeffrey, and both Halsty and Jeffrey want to be the deepest central midfielder in that pairing. They both want to stay deep. They're kind of, I don't think they would go together very well. I don't, I don't think they're a good match. So we could see Halsty play center back instead of Boswell for this game. Um, but then you've end up with the problem in central midfield. Do you ask Perry Kitchen to play another 90 minutes? Um, or do you ask him and Arnaud to split the game where Kitchen plays an hour and then subs off? Um, because then you enter the possibility of you can't use that sub there. You've got to use it elsewhere for injuries or red cards or what have you. And then you end up not having a fully fit Perry Kitchen for a game against New England that uh, is a pretty big deal on the weekend. So I think that's where I'm I'm a little concerned is the, is the center backs and central midfield. Um, it, it's 
Burn Bomb's unavailable. Uh, we should add that in. Um, he's suspended from last year's game against Rochester. Those The Open Cup suspensions carry over until you serve them. So if you get suspended at 19 and then you don't play again until you're 35, that suspension still applies. Um, Quatamac Blanco still has an outstanding uh, two-year suspension from the U.S. Open Cup um, if a team he were to play, be playing for qualified, though he isn't doing that right now, thankfully. USASA? Uh, yeah, if you join an amateur team and registered correctly, you have to you have to deregister as a professional to get on one of those teams, which is actually a thing that has caused teams to have to drop out because they do their paperwork wrong and a professional is still registered as a professional. Um, but in any case, um, United has plenty of options. The good thing is we're not looking at playing the absolute like bottom eleven players on the roster just to give them a break, uh, to to give the starters a break. Um, uh, um, an attack with Luis Silva as a withdrawn forward and Facundo Correa and Miguel Aguilar should have plenty of success creating chances against Pittsburgh, given that, I mean, they played a 6-5 game uh, earlier this season, and even if you take that game away, they gave up, their, their games have had 41 goals in 11 matches, and then there's also this 6-5 outlier. Um, so United shouldn't have to work that hard to create chances in this game because Pittsburgh, I don't think, is really concerned with um, limiting teams. I think they they want to win games by scoring and not by getting shutouts, um, which actually might make it easier for United to play um, their normal road style because you you aren't going to have to be brilliant to score a goal on Pittsburgh. You you just have to be okay, um, and that's that's in the USL. You just have to be okay if you're. Um, Luis Silva, I mean, there should be plenty of chances to score um, or score and create goals. So I really expect the the, the front four, the, the attacking four, to carry the effort, even if central midfield is a little iffy. Um, it would be nice if um, we saw, like, a diamond, but I don't think we're going to see that. We could see it. Correa apparently can play that, that way, but it seems awfully doubtful that we'll see it. He's going to be on the wing. I wish. We can always hope. We can just keep hoping until Wednesday comes. I wish Colin Martin were healthy, and then we could see a yes, diamond with Colin it would Martin. Be, this would be a great occasion for Colin Martin to be out there, but um, it just hasn't been a good year for him as far as injuries. It just He gets over one, and another one crops up. And it's not like hamstring strains. It's like injuries that require surgery. Someone, right. someone please non-sexually take care of Colin Martin's groin. I think you just may have named this episode. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a, uh, actually. I don't know if that's the case. That'd be a really weird thing to have floating on SoundCloud. <laughs> We're gonna get uh, a bunch of new listeners. <laughs> in that case, then do what you have to do. Uh, again, this game Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Streaming on YouTube. Uh, if it's if we're able to embed it, we might create a video post to make it real easy. DC, DC United might do the same thing on their site. We'll see if we can embed it. If so, don't, then don't, don't then go we'll... to their site. Go to our site. Exactly. Listen, go to our site. Listen to this podcast. Go to our site. Damn it. Go to blackandredunited.com. <laughs> After DC United is done in Pittsburgh on Wednesday, they come back to DC for a Sunday night encounter, just to keep things ambiguous. With the New England Revolution, 5 p.m. on ESPN2. But again, why would you watch it on TV when you can come out to RFK on a Sunday afternoon? It's going to be beautiful, I'm sure. I have no idea what the weather's going to be, but I'm sure it'll be beautiful. You'll die. It'll be 117 degrees. <laughs> like I said, beautiful. 
<laughs> the Revs are second in the East right now, four points behind DC United with a game in hand. They're coming off a 2-0 win over the fire the week before they lost 2-0 in Portland. In fact, they haven't won on the road since April 19th, a 2-1 result at Philadelphia. Um, they just have not been a good road team at all this year. They have a couple of draws in that one win, but mostly they go on the road and they lose. Um, obviously, this isn't the same team that lost 800 straight games in the middle of last year before getting Jermaine Jones and riding the ship. Jason, is this the same New England, though, that ran through the playoffs to MLS Cup last year, or or do they have some, some strong, bigger weaknesses that United might exploit? Uh, they're, 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 unfortunately, we aren't really built to exploit their biggest weakness uh, right now, which is that they're not really good in the air on crosses. Um, Andrew Farrell uh, isn't – despite being built like a guy who should be pretty good in the air, not that he's that tall, but he's really powerfully built, um, tends to kind of lose the ball and lose track. It's always either losing track of the ball or a runner um, with him. Jose Gonzalez isn't that great in the air either. Um, last year, A.J. Soares uh, covered that because A.J. Soares only wants soccer to be played in the air, um, but now he's gone. Um, with Jermaine Jones playing center back some, they were worse at it now that he's he's on the, the injury report. Um, they don't really have anyone to cover for that. We don't really have the aerial targets to do anything about it. Um, but it is it is a weakness, and it is something we could – it might be why we were so heavy – in using Kemp in the last game against New England, um, just trying to get to take advantage of that. We don't want to focus entirely on trying to win the game one way, though. Um, but but other than that, Lee Wynn hasn't been very strong this year. Um, there's a contract dispute that people are speculating is affecting his focus, but um, you'd have to really climb inside his head in a being Lee Wynn-style uh, movie to understand uh, whether that's actually bothering him or if he's just off form for another reason. Um, but there's still, I mean, there's still a talented team. There's still plenty of quality on that team. It's just a matter of them not necessarily playing. Um, they just seem a little off. It's not anything in particular. They're just generally struggling to be at their best collectively. And a few individuals are just sort of playing. I will say Scott Caldwell, um, defensive midfield looks to be playing very well. He's improved in the off season. Um, Charlie Davies had a great streak of, of goal scoring that has sort of cooled off recently, but it, I also, I, that I doesn't say, sound familiar. That story does not sound familiar at all. Well, it also, we're kind of coming from a warped perspective because every other team in the league played like three games in the space of time. DC played like 600. Um, right. so it feels like many games have passed, but it really, it all, it's only been a few. Um, they went to Portland and got to the 86th minute at 0-0, which is a pretty decent result for any cross-country trip to play on turf. Um, they ended up losing 2 nothing um, in that game, but uh, they're not—they're certainly not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. There's plenty of weapons. Um, it's just a matter of finding more than one player, more than two players in their, their midfield and attack that are in form because they aren't really creating that much right now. But... Uh, in the back, I think there's a chance for D, especially at home. I think there's a chance for for United to get their attack back going a little bit, as we saw against Chicago, um, rather than the last couple games where it just there just hasn't been that much going on uh, attack wise. So let's talk about the New England attack for a, a second, Ben. With even though Diego Fagundes 
played last week and, and scored a screamer of a goal that's up for goal of the week. Um, New England's been largely playing with a front three, I guess you could call it, uh, of Charlie Davies up front and then Aguilello and Bunbury. These are three guys who originally came into the league as center forwards, and two of them have been converted to wide midfielders. They're not playing a true 4-3-3 where all three of them are actually playing forwards. Two of them are playing wide. Um, I think this is a good thing, especially in the case of Agudelo, because when he plays in that number nine position, he has a tendency to be a United killer. Um, but but what do you make of this? What What kind of challenges does that provide for United's fullbacks, whoever they may be? I mean, it provides a lot of challenges. Uh, Teal Bunbury has, over the last year and a half, played really well as a wide forward. And he's played as a as the next reincarnation, basically, of the uh, Kai Kamara target uh, uh, target midfielder, target winger uh, prototype. Uh, having Agudelo out on the wing is better than having him in the middle, but he's been playing pretty well this year too. So it's. I mean, yes, they're the 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 revolution are struggling, but I don't trust any of their attack, any of that attacking trio to falter. If if I was gonna bet against any of them, I would bet, I guess, weirdly against Charlie Davies, uh, even though he's been playing very well. Uh, but I think it's a it's a potent attack that could strike at any time, so I would be worried about it regardless. All right, Jason, we know United needs to find more than one way to attack New England and that crosses might be their big weakness, but United's probably not built to exploit them. What does United absolutely have to do if they want to get a result this weekend and keep New England's road-losing streak going? Uh, I think a, a major thing is to, is I know this is going to sound like I'm advertising or uh, advocating for crosses, but um, they do need to attack the fullbacks. Uh, London Woodbury has done well since he's uh, joined the Revolution, but he's still an inexperienced uh, MLS player. Chris Tierney uh, is a, is a very good attacking fullback, but he's slow um, and he he lacks the ability to really compete one on one if if you get moving. Um, so I think they need to attack the fullbacks, and then once you get in behind them, you have the you don't just have to hit a cross. You can go into the box and play a square pass, or cut the ball back, or just dribble, you know, run at people until they commit a foul. Because Jose Gonzalez, since his Defender of the Year title, um, maybe this is something that happens in MLS because it happened to Aurelian Collin as well, um, has sort of played like a like a parody of himself, um, just a little over-aggressive, a little wild, um, a little angry, rather than keeping it together and um, making smart plays. He, he has a tendency to go in a little too hard. Um, so getting into the box and then forcing New England to make tackles is probably a good idea because I don't think they're th- actually that good at that. Um, other than that, I would say you've got to find a way to make sure that New England isn't dominating, uh, dictating, the, uh, I shouldn't say dominating the game, but dictating how it's played. If, if the game streaks through midfield and becomes end-to-end, New England is probably going to have some success because that's how they like to play. They play a formation that looks like they want to play possession soccer, and their personnel looks like they want to play possession soccer, but they use all that technical ability to just move the ball quickly upfield um, and try and get in behind or or aim at Bunbury in the air. Um, so 
preventing that and playing a United United fortunately kind of wants to play a different game. They don't want to play a track meet uh, sort of style. Um, so if the game is a little more methodical and a little more thoughtful, then I think we're going to see a better performance than against Orlando. Um, Orlando wanted to keep – it's the same formation, but Orlando wants to keep the ball, whereas New England wants to get it forward as quickly as possible. Um, so I, I think there's the possibility of attacking the fullbacks. Um, I think we need to see United's midfielders. Even if, even when they tuck in, you can go – you can then attack the fullbacks at an angle rather than having to go around them on the touch – or on both touch lines. You don't have to, um, as the English would say, get chalk on your boots, and I can't believe I just said that. Um, you don't have to do it that way. You can get at them without attacking them by going around them. You can go inside. Um, but mostly I, th- I think United has the weapons to create a lot of, of danger against New England. It's just that they have to be a little sharper. Um, they have to be a little more precise, especially Espindola. Um, Rolf needs to be a little more involved. Uh, Nick DeLeon needs to maybe not have only defending uh, as his worry, which is, I think happened against Orlando. He was very preoccupied with Rafael Ramos and not necessarily getting forward enough. Um, and I think the guys in central midfield need to be a little sharper. Um, Davy Arnaud, I thought that this was an interesting... I was reading some of the stats after the game, and, and Opta said that Arnaud had 13 attempted long balls and nine of them were accurate. And I felt like that's probably wrong, but then when you think about it, a guy can... Uh, the player that he's aiming at can turn it into a completed pass, quote-unquote, by running down a bad pass and just keeping it in. And as long as United ends up possessing the ball, it's a completed pass, so it looks good on paper, but in reality, your attack dies because a guy's tracking a ball down and keeping it in along the touchline instead of running onto it and it being a dangerous attack. Um, Those passes, Arnaud has had a few of those passes this year where he's been very dangerous. Um, The uh, Nick DeLeon, um assist of the week, uh, not that that's a thing, but it should have been, where he uh, the ball appeared to be headed out, and he managed to, with his first touch, control it, keep it in, and then chip it to the back post. That was a Davy Arnaud long ball that he even put enough, um, put the right spin on so it would check up off the ground rather than run out of bounds. Um, so he's got that in his game. He just needs to be more precise. Um, and, and it would be nice to see um, Perry Kitchen maybe making a couple more uh, runs into the attack. I know we were leaning on him pretty hard lately against Kaká. Um, it's kind of understandable that he was sort of stuck uh, at home so much, but against New England with Lee Wynn not necessarily in great form and with Andy Dorman uh, instead of Jermaine Jones in the midfield, I think we can afford to at, to give Kitchen a little more license to join the attack as a late runner rather than just having to purely think defensively. All right. There you have it. Let's turn our attention now to uh, some women's soccer. The World Cup, of course, is going on as we speak. Uh, so we're going to keep doing what we've been doing in recent weeks and keep on talking about it. The U.S. women's national team followed up their underwhelming 3-1 to win. Not often you get to say underwhelming 3-1 to win, but, but Jill Ellis, she, she's a genius, and she, she can accomplish that. Uh, that win was over Australia. They followed it up with another underwhelming performance, this time a scoreless draw against Sweden. Uh, the U.S. still leads Group D with four points. The Aussies, or the Matildas, as, as the team is known, uh, are right behind them with three points. Sweden with two. Nigeria, who is the last opponent for the U.S., on one point. Um, let's talk about this game against Sweden. There wasn't 
there are obviously no goals, and there wasn't a lot good to talk about. The The biggest good point I think anybody can talk about, though, is Julie Johnston, who at center back was an absolute beast. She ate up any Swedish attacker that came near her. Ben, it was an impressive performance from, from Johnston. Yeah, she was really great, and I thought defensively the whole back line was fairly, really good. Uh, Johnston was probably the best of all of them, but Becky Sauerbrunn was really good. Uh, Allie Krieger was very good defensively. She could have been a little better offensively, but defensively she was very solid. And Megan Klinenberg was very good and had the uh, header that pinged off the crossbar to save a goal and keep it at 0-0. So Johnston was a first among a first among equals, but I feel like the rest of her back line was basically just as good as well. Unfortunately, Jason, we can't say the same thing about the midfield. I mean, Lauren Holiday is a great player, defensive midfielder. She's not. Same for Carly Lloyd. Same for pick offensive player in their position, it seems like. If only Morgan Bryan had been played in her actual position. Yeah, well, it turns out she's not an outside midfielder. That's kind of the problem for the U.S., though, is that they have three players that all would be best in one spot, and it's the la- it's the spot in modern soccer that is the least likely to be played um, because attacking midfielders are already kind of an endangered species unless you want to play certain... You have to play a diamond or a 4-2-3-1 or, or certain versions of a 4-3-3 to, to have them on the field. All three of these players belong in the same spot, um, and the issue is basically that... Ellis wants them on the field, but also is unwilling to change a basic formation that only allows for one of them. So you end up with, I I will say I thought Morgan Bryan was a little better as a right midfielder defensively than Kristen Press. She seemed to understand where to be a little more. Um, I don't really hold it against Press that she wasn't really good for that because she's a forward. Um, Bryan is at least a midfielder. She's had some of the experience of, of, the shifting and moving that comes in the midfield, a more experience than Kristen Press has had. Um, but, uh, I mean, at this point, this is the midfield. It's going to be someone on the right, Holiday deep, Lloyd for, further forward, and Megan Rapino on the left. Um, it's not a good structure uh, for this group of players, um, and Jill Ellis has a, a, given us abundant evidence that she's not about to change. Um, so they've got to find... Well, the, the problem with bringing in Tobin Heath is that then you have four fully attack-minded midfielders in a four-four-two. Um, with Rapino in, I think bringing in Tobin Heath becomes a problem. This is why the formation is no good. Um, I think the only player on this team that really could actually do a good job at right midfield is Heather O'Reilly, who has been pretty much forgotten by Joel. Also, also, I actually love her way more than Tobin Heath. Um, <laughs> But the, the thing about O'Reilly, she's still attack-minded, but she's a high-energy player. Um, she likes to get in, uh, in involved in the defensive side of things. Um, she knows wide midfield in a 4-4-2 more than any of these other players do. Um, she's, she's the ma- most natural fit, and yet she's not been used. She might play against Nigeria, and I can only hope that her she plays the game of her life and forces Jill Ellis to change things. Um, I still don't. I think she could play the game of her life, and Jill Ellis would still not change anything. I think that's much more likely to happen than anything else. Uh, assuming that she does play the game of her life, I still think there's like. I think I left a comment on the site saying it. 
I would give still an 80% chance that Joe Ellis reverts to the old tactics as soon as everyone is well rested. Um, so it, it just, it, it's just, it's irritating because the team is very good and they're, they're, the mismanagement is going to cause games like this where they were, they were the better team, but they didn't really create very many looks. Yeah, I do want to talk really quickly a little bit more about the right midfield spot and the way Jill Ellis kind of treats it as a place to put somebody where she doesn't know where else to put them on the field. Against Sweden, she rotated, I think, three or four players through that spot. Morgan Bryan started, and then uh, Press got pushed back to to that spot when Amy Rodriguez came in, and Amy Rodriguez got pushed back to that spot when Alex Morgan came in. It was just, I have too many forwards. One of them has to go play right midfield now. And, yeah, and I but, think no, no other thought behind it. Yeah, I think um, I'm trying to do the. I, I've I've got my notes, and I think uh, after Brian was subbed off, Press played right midfield for ten minutes, and then she was subbed off, and Sydney Larue played. Uh, I want to. Sydney Larue Amy played. Rodriguez, you mean? No, no. Sydney Larue no, played Sydney right Sydney for, for oh, ten wow. minutes, and then Amy Rodriguez ended okay. up out there. Um, so, so two different players got 10 minutes at right midfield before Rodriguez ended up out there for the final 12, um, which is an indicator that you haven't really figured out what to do with this position and you're just sort of throwing people out there. Um, yeah. None of those players are cut out for right midfield. Um, it's kind of amazing. Um, you'd almost think that um, playing it, I wouldn't want to break up the back four right now, but um, Allie Krieger would be more effective at right midfielder than any of those four players. Um, I'm, pro- I'm still not convinced that Jill Ellis and Jurgen Klinsmann are different people. I mean, anybody can play right midfield, just like anybody can play left back. I don't know, at least Klinsmann can fall back on uh, the most absurd set of results uh, in uh, recent U.S. history uh, in Europe. I don't know how... On the earth that happened, but um, it was fun. Yeah, uh, I will remain befuddled. But Ben, it's, my it's more fun than watching the the women's team right now. I'll say that that's true. I have two data points to indicate that Jill Ellis is not Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, okay. The first is the number of forwards that Jill Ellis has brought. She's brought a lot of forwards. Jurgen Klinsmann brought Josie Altidore. Brought zero forwards. Yeah, and and then Josie got hurt. Uh, Jill Ellis brought Abby Wambach despite the fact that she hasn't played for a club team at all in 2015, Jurgen Klinsmann did not bring Landon Donovan, who was rounding who? into the form of his life. Who? I've never heard of that player. In that case, let's talk about Nigeria a little Don bit. Don Ovan? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> um, I want to say... I'm sad he's not on the final Gold Cup roster, because that would have been amazing. That would have been fun. Hattrick Rick would have scored that goal against Belgium. <laughs> Give the ball to him. He's our best player. Final group game for the U.S. women's team is Tuesday night, possibly tonight, as you're listening to this, possibly last night, in which case... I mean, it's definitely the why are you waiting until tonight. after? Yeah. Why are you waiting until Wednesday or later to listen to the podcast? You should listen to us earlier in the week if you are, you know, missing... If you've already missed the USA game. Uh... That's on Fox, Big Boy Fox, uh, broadcast TV. The thing I want to I want to key in this game is Nigeria's speed on the counterattack. The U.S. allowed a lot of counterattacks from Sweden, and Sweden's 
final ball just wasn't there. And that's that's generally the case for Nigeria, too. But they are a heck of a lot faster than Sweden, and they can be a lot more dangerous on the break. Their margin of error is a little bit higher on some of those balls because there's so much space that they can eat up, um, especially what, what's the forward, Ashwala. She's, yes. she's really, really dangerous on the break, Jason. And I, I'm worried that not only might the U.S. not win, they might actually lose this game if they don't figure out their offensive issues and then uh, allow a goal or two on the counter. Yeah, it's it's entirely possible. I think the saving grace in this game is that as as threatening as Nigeria is going forward, they're they're vulnerable in the back, um, especially can, on set pieces. Right, they're they're very bad on set pieces, which is an, an American strength, especially if um, the one issue I've had with Julie Johnson in this tournament is that she's repeatedly getting away from her marker. She's getting open, but she mistimes her run every time. She's either too early by two or three steps, or she's too late. Um, there was a free kick in the the uh, first game against Australia where she was the ball ended up where she was going, but she already had passed through there, and I don't think she ever actually saw the ball. She never even it, she never made eye contact with it. Um, if they can get that timing down, they should be able to produce a tremendous amount of set piece opportunities. Since they're going to spend more time with in possession, they're probably going to get more free kicks, more corner kicks. Um, I think the game sets up really well for them like that, but. If they don't convert, if they're wasteful of their chances, if um, uh, if the turf uh, and the turf alone causes all of their their goal scoring chances to somehow not go in, um, which is apparently what's happening, uh, then they've got a problem because Nigeria's offense can score on just about anyone, um, and the fact that they have so much speed means they don't have to put together a great comprehensive passing attack. They just need to break in behind and find one of they've got several fast forwards so um it's it's a tricky it's a tricky game where they have to get a lot right and make few mistakes i think if the us avoids mistakes they're going to win against nigeria but um you know turnovers at midfield or missed marks um miscommunication all of those things can go wrong i think hope solo is going to have to be very good about coming off her line um early she's going to have to be aggressive because there's going to be balls where Nigeria is looking over the top between the goalkeeper and the back four and just hoping that one of their forwards can run onto it. Um, that has to be cut out. The The central defense needs to be aware that that's going to be pretty common. They need to be prepared for those before the ball's in the air. They can't When the ball's halfway there, you can't then be sorting things out. It has to be sorted out when the, when you know it's coming rather than when it's already on the way. Um, so there's a there's – a, it's, it's a little bit like um, – walking on eggshells for the U.S., um, they, they can definitely, they should win this game. Um, they shouldn't really make hard work of it, but one mistake can, can ruin everything. Um, or not ruin everything, they won't be eliminated um, from one mistake, but uh, they could lose the game. They could end up with a much more difficult uh, knockout round matchup as a result um, in a game that otherwise they should win. And, and we've seen them have spells of play where, they were sort of hanging on. They, they needed a big play from a defensive player, um, whether it's Clean Burn head, heading the ball off the line or Hope Solo early against Australia making a few big saves. Um, they can't really rely on that because eventually it's going to come back to haunt you, and Nigeria has been pretty sharp in terms of converting their chances. Ben, anything you want to add on this game before we get out of here tonight? Um... I don't think so. Okay. 
In that case, thank you all for listening tonight. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We accept hate mail, love letters, and advertising inquiries. Uh, subscribe, rate, ratings, reviews all help us on iTunes, Stitcher. We're also on SoundCloud, uh, mostly when you're at the tailgate on Sunday or you know anytime between now and then. Tell a friend about the show. Run uh, to the Metro and just yell filibuster. <laughs> I, I don't think that'll actually help. I think finding maybe... a soccer fan and saying, hey, I know a podcast about DC United, that'll be much more useful than yelling filibuster on the Metro in Washington, D.C. If it was on a new car, it might make a difference because those also don't have air conditioning. <laughs> ben, you're making all kinds of sense tonight. You're Go- in rare form. Ben, goats? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Really, Ben? Ha, <laughs> ha,